Welcome back to the Daniel Muggleton podcast. It's me. I'm Daniel Muggleton. I'm the guy. Uh, hot app this week. I think you're going to enjoy it. Uh, I'm talking about that lull in the sporting calendar if you're an Australian person uh, and what we have to do to fill the void, specifically those goddamn Netflix sport documentaries that suck you in with human drama, even though every human featured in the show is going to be just fine. They're fucking golfers. They're Formula One drivers. They'll be okay. There are literally no stakes. But for some reason, I'm standing and cheering when a rich guy gets slightly more accomplished <laughs> than he was when the season began. I'm also going a bit specific. It's a bit niche. Uh, talking about... Edinburgh Fringe Festival accommodation. I had a tweet blow up a little bit last week, which is an incredibly embarrassing sentence. I could only apologize, but that is the best way to describe the situation. And I thought maybe you'd seen it. I thought maybe you didn't have the context. So I was like, hey, why don't I give you some context for why as performers we are so up in arms about the accommodation situation in Edinburgh. And then the Fringe Society sent one of the dumbest emails I've ever seen in my life. So I thought, fuck it. Let's dive in. Let's give you what you got. Uh, I'm also debuting a brand new segment called Phone Taps where, look, there's no, there's no cute way to say this. Uh, my friends call me and I record the phone call and then play it to you on the podcast. <laughs> you know, I think back in the day, comedians said whatever they wanted on podcasts and had, you know, because of the assumption and at that stage often the correct assumption that nobody listened to them. But now that they're big and bigger than radio in a lot of instances, uh, you know, they might not be as candid. I love talking to certain friends on the phone. I think they reveal a lot about themselves. And before you're worried about this being a breach of law or me being a shit mate, I have got their permission to do this in advance uh, and I do check with them afterwards, right? So it is absolutely candid. It is absolutely a genuine phone call between me and my friends, but it's like they're okay with it. Just I just want to check. I just don't want anyone to freak out uh, that this is like, a, like a, an illegal phone tapping situation. Um, so anyway, that's coming up. Uh, and my first, my first friend on that is uh, the person who calls me more than anyone in the world, Amos Gill, a very good friend of mine, a very, very, very good comedian uh, who is currently killing it at the Adelaide Fringe Festival, playing a venue, I think, approximately three times the size of mine and selling it out pretty regularly. So go see him if you're at the Adelaide Fringe Festival. Uh, he's a very good mate and I'm... I'm excited for you to hear <laughs> what I've got to say is just such a typical conversation from him. Um, before we get into that, just very quickly, uh, my UK tour dates have been made official. They're on my website now. Uh, I'm doing shows in Edinburgh, Glasgow, Newcastle, Manchester, Liverpool, London, Cardiff, Bristol, and Brighton at this point, we might add a little extra one, a cheeky extra. If those sell well, jump across to my website, book those tickets. If you've got some mates in the UK, let them know. 
Uh, I'm going up and down the goddamn country in the second week of June. That tour is June 3rd to June 14th. That's when it's all happening. So plenty of notice. I'm pumped. My first international tour. Doing an Australian tour seemed vaguely impossible last year. And now to be able to do the UK, which I absolutely love. If the tracksuit wasn't a giveaway enough, I would say probably my favorite comedy audiences in the fucking world. Uh, I am pumped to get there. Uh, so yes, please do buy a ticket. Please do let your mates over there know. Um, and the one last thing before we jump in, I just want to say thanks to the people who replied last week uh, when I was asking about the special, where it should go. Um, Matt and Alex got back to me, not the Australian radio duo, Matt and Alex. Two separate, well, two separate people, a separate Matt and a separate Alex uh, on their own. Um, I appreciate it. I One thing... With this podcast is I, I feel like it is a direct way to talk to you and I hope you feel like it's a direct way to talk to me. So if you ever want to send anything through, dan at danielmuggleton.com.au or just hit me up on social media. Uh, all right. I reckon it's time, to, it's time to get into the goddamn episode and you know how we get there. You know how we get there every single fucking week. You know how we're going to keep getting there for the rest of our goddamn lives. It's Verticoli. It's that time of the year. It is that time of the year where, as an Australian sports fan, you don't really know what to do with yourself. I think I think everyone knows the time of the year. It's known as March. <laughs> March is the month. Look, maybe maybe give it give it late Feb just for a bit of fun. Because if you're looking locally uh, on the Australian sports calendar, there is not a lot. And I know there's not a lot because recently I was listening to the radio. That's right. I don't have an aux cord in my car. I will listen to commercial radio, not even Triple J. I've aged into Triple M and 2WS FM, great classic hits. That's where I'm at. And they threw to the news break. And there was the sports section of the news and they mentioned the NBL. <laughs> That's how you know Australia's out of sport when a commercial station, a station that has an interest in generating money through listenership via ad revenue and they mention the NBL. I would argue the single most switched off sport in Australia. Like if you see the NBL showing at a pub, even a pub with 10 plus TVs, get the fuck out of there. It should never be seen. Nice bloody layup. The Australian version of the NBA, never watch it. That's how you know we are in a drought. Not literally. Obviously we're flooding. Uh, I'm excited for the locusts next. But we are in a sports drought. And it, but look, I, I, I think it's become pretty clear at this point. I'm a, I'm a slut for sports. Like, I will watch anything. Uh, anything, I will give it a bash, but I do draw the line at the NBL. I mean, I say there's a drought at the moment. The NBA season is on. The All-Star break just ended, uh, meaning we are moving towards the playoffs, meaning the NBA is, like, is kind of becoming interesting. Because like, I don't mind NBA. Like, that's that's good. They dunk. They dunk in the NBA. It's it's a significantly superior league. Like in, in Australia, 
You should see the fucking highlights packages. There's like one dunk and it is not... It's a two-hander, you know? These, these, aren't, <laughs> these aren't great athletes. These guys were shooting threes not because of Steph Curry innovating and realizing that threes are better than mid-range twos, but just because... They can't dunk, so they've got to do something. Like they've got to, they've got to shoot from the perimeter. That's all they got. They don't want to get inside that paint. They can't get up near the rim. It's embarrassing. Anyway, I like the NBA, but I think like any kind of not full-blown NBA fan, like kind of, kind of on the cusp of liking basketball, like you know the kind of people who are interested, provided they have money on the game, or if there's like an Australian player playing. Or, you know, just anything to kind of give it a bit of zip as opposed to just watching people bounce a ball and not play defense. Like, the, the regular season of the NBA is a slog. There's so many fucking games. There's 82. I know that not because of being an NBA fan, but being a Jay-Z fan. It's, it's incredible how much sports statistics and player rankings are involved in American hip-hop lyrics. Like, genuinely, if... If, if you think about it, just like I'm going 0 and 82, that's a Jay Z lyric. Um, just to be like the undefeated season, another Jay Z lyric. Like, Jesus playing LeBron, I'm playing Dwayne Wade. Like, that's when they were like the top two players in the league. Like, it's all there for you. Uh, it's all there. If you want to educate yourself without watching the sport, fucking hip hop is what you need. But, ugh, did I just say hip hop? God. <laughs> There's something just as, as a. As a Caucasian, um, a term you don't hear too much these days, as a white person saying hip-hop, you just kind of feel like your dad dancing to reggae. Anyone else? Anyway, so I, I do get around the NBA, but just the regular season, like until maybe like the last 10 games, like I don't really know what the regular season is. It, it feels like a kind of World Cup play-in tournament where like until it's at the pointy end, who gives a fuck, right? You're, pay- you're playing like just absolute garbage nations you're putting eight goals on them like what's even the point of paying attention until we're up against japan and lose and then we play against saudi arabia and lose somehow and then you know end up in a playoff game and you're like fuck i'm a football fan again i remember uh anyway so i'm i'm in a bit of a drought i thought the australia india cricket series would get me over the line but that has been just a bashing Ooh, just an absolute bashing hard to hard to get emotionally invested in that so, look, it's, it's embarrassing, to be honest, for, for me to admit this, uh, but it's happened before and it's happening again. I've dealt with a lack of live sports by, oh God, I can't believe I'm telling you this, by engaging in Netflix sport documentaries. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, I'm almost at the end of Full Swing, the golf documentary, and I'm enthralled. I just, I just, I know I'm enthralled because I just caught myself Googling players' heights. That's how you know. <laughs> That's how you know you're into it as a sports fan. When you're like, how tall is that guy? That guy looks taller than me. Is that guy taller than me? And you must know immediately. You're right in there. Tony Finau, what's his height? Fucking 6'4". I knew it. He does seem tall. Um, that's the thing. Men are obsessed with heights when it comes to athletes. Women are obsessed with heights when it comes to dating apps. We both, as humans, agree that there's a height limit for certain things. Uh, roller coasters as well, I guess, if you're, if you're being a stickler for the goddamn rules. But yes, I'm in it. I'm in it, and I'm liking it, and I'm embarrassed. I think 
I think any middle class person has has been exposed to the game of golf tangentially. Like either you had a bash when you were younger, you've been to a driving range at a friend's bucks party, your dad used to watch it on TV, and you're like, "Dad, come on, change it. This sucks. Nothing. Ha- they get it in. It's all. It always goes in or close. There's no drama." And then you age into it. You do. It's so. It's so frustrating how everything that you thought was abhorrent about being a grown-up when you're a young person, you just age into, like, I just, like, I'm, I'm back in, I'm back in Adelaide this weekend for the Fringe, and I just, I just photographed some receipts from cafes I've been to to claim on tax, and I felt good. I was like, fuck yeah, some of that money I spent coming straight back to me. Thank you, government. This is what I mean about the agent. But yeah, I've been watching I've been watching a golf documentary and I've been enjoying it and I've been emotionally invested and I'm just so I'm so embarrassed because Netflix seems to have a policy with their sports documentaries where they only cover the richest sports. Like this is just kind of like privilege porn? No, kind of like a kind of like um like the, uh, a voyeuristic, like how the other half live, but like not the other half, like the other zero point zero one percent, like, and and they and they try and give it like this human drama element, like there are things at stake, <laughs> like there's a whole episode about will this guy ever reach his true potential? Is the hardest working guy on tour? He's yet to win a major championship. Will English McEnglishman? ever he's got braces isn't he a sympathetic figure like i wonder if this guy is possibly gonna one day climb the mountaintop it's so sad it's so sad that he works hard and he hasn't achieved a major victory yet and then it just cuts to him being introspective on a private jet (laughs) how can i feel sympathy is that a fucking private jet with a friend like and, and and you know the friend isn't there to split the price like every <laughs> it's it's amazing i don't know if it's just because like it's easier to shoot on a private jet due to the due to the implicit fact that it's private but the amount of interviews that take place for these guys just like in their giant house in their private jet saying about how hard it is to be a golfer and i'm like is it <laughs> fucking it you're on a private jet like these guys are like best mates and they catch the private jet to the tournament together like there's other scenes like them talking about like yeah you know i just i i know i can win the tournament but will i ever win the tournament i just feel like there's so much expectation around me he says inside his impeccable mercedes suv that you know he's not paying for like literally with this guy trying to get his first major championship like they had the amount of money they win per tournament when they place. Like, you know, this guy was like a top 10 finisher in like four different things. And that's just, you know, half a million dollars, $390,000, like $420,000, like just huge sums of money for what they, they explain quite clearly is four days work. That's it's like yeah the PGA tournament is tough bro like if you don't make the cut that means you don't play on the final day and then you only work three days like 
you you get paid for working one extra day and it's like what a tragedy these guys have it so hard and it, it, it it's good there's just something <laughs> there's something about that fucking netflix sound effect you know that just this is going to be a gritty gripping drama this is going to be emotionally you know taxing to watch and it it is they do it like I am far more impressed with the directors and editors at Netflix than the golfers because they can make a a cynical piece of shit like me genuinely be like, man, it's you're so right. Tony Finnau is going to have to choose between spending time with his family or being a selfish asshole who does succeed like Colin Morikawa. Like, what's it going to be? And it's like, both of them a fine <laughs> there is just absolutely no it's like it's like when remember when you used to watch like robot wars remember when that was the thing uh when robot wars was it was a tv show as opposed to you know two countries using drones on each other to avoid any human casualties in a very 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 real war remember that <laughs> it was a different time it was a different time, but yeah, I just, Netflix, man, they just get you to invest in it somehow. Like, it's amazing to like see a guy with the hottest wife. He's got a good body because golfers like cricketers now, like the thick boys are gone. The little bean poles are gone. Every golfer's just a fucking huge unit. Like the amount of footage of them just working out, doing crazy fucking lifts and shit. And you're like, I thought you were supposed to play golf. When did athletes take golf? Is there nothing that strong dudes can't conquer? I just I just feel sad. I feel like before my time, I feel like during my lifetime, it's definitely like maybe just in my youth when I was watching sport, you'd occasionally see an out-of-shape person succeed. But ever since, like, ever since they started calling it sports science, so the nerds could be like, wait, this is something I can excel at also. This is something that involves spreadsheets and counting calories and calculate. Like I can be a fucking huge rig despite being a huge nerd. Ever since they did that, man, they ruined. They ruined the, the athlete with the dad bod. And it's sad. Golf, you know, you walk, you swing a club, you walk again. Like this, this should be a sport for people with generally generally sloppy rigs or potentially, you know, just not strong bros. But here we are, yet again. They're hot and rich and their wives are hot and they're rich adjacent or rich on their own. I don't I don't know the details. But yeah, like you just you get so you get so upset that Netflix tricks you with that shit. Like, I don't care about golf now. I'm like, should I care about golf? Should I be like one of those golf people? I wear like Titleist caps to a cafe? Like, should I be wearing polo shirts casually? Like, is that my new vibe? Like, just a little little Callaway polo shirt? Known, known to have two to four golf clubs in the boot of his car just in case he gets a minute to stop by the range and hit a couple of balls? Good ball. Good ball. Good ball, Mickey. No one's called Mickey in golf. It's still golf, but close enough. They did it to me last year too. Netflix got me last year with that fucking drive to survive. So frustrating. Even the title. 
even even the title is almost mocking you. It's like drive to survive. No, these guys are Formula One race car. Like their dads collectively probably own half the top 100 companies in the world. Like this is not drive to survive. Like, yeah, like there is the very slight risk that if there is a crash, they may die. But the implication that they need to go real fast in order to survive is just absurd. And you sit there in your two to three star hotel room and you watch and you're like, I care about them. <laughs> I care. Lewis Hamilton, who's been on top for so long, can Max Verstappen come over top? Can he come over the top? Is it fair? Is the ruling of the referee about the takeover and the slowdown fair? What about the Drivers' Championship? Is this going to affect Mercedes going forward? No. (laughs) There is like one older dude, also in a polo shirt. I think that should just be... That's... that's, I've never thought about this before. That's how you give away like the demographic of a sport. It's like, does the shirt have a collar? Therefore, rich cunt sport. Like, even back in the day, Rugby Union, which is the rich rugby, they had the collars on the shirt. And then you go down the line. It's like, is it a Povkan sport? Do they have sleeves? No. <laughs> NBA and AFL, no sleeves. No sleeves on the shirt. It is a vest slash singlet. These got anyone. There is no barrier to entry. There is no financial barrier to entry to play this sport. But here I am being like, I'm up to episode six. I got two more to go. I can't believe that some of the players would abandon the PGA Tour for the live tour just for the money. Can you believe it? People who are professional golfers are motivated by cash, cold, hard cash. (laughs) Animals. I thought it was for the love of the game getting their fucking jackets for winning like they're real estate agents. Ugh. And I care. I do care. And I just, I wanted to have this honest moment with you. I wanted, you know, like, because I feel like dudes especially kind of give women grief for getting into reality TV shows. Like maybe, maybe that's suggesting like a more old-fashioned stereotype, maybe where you know, doing better than that now. But I know I come home, my wife is like watching the hills and I walk in the door and she looks at me like I've caught her masturbating. She's just so ashamed. (laughs) And obviously, ironically, if I ever walked in the door and caught her masturbating, that'd be a great day. Um, Anyway, she's watching the hills. She needs to finish watching, like, That's the one, because I thought reality TV was just kind of fill time to create noise like behind, like, you know, in the same way that men will watch test cricket. It's like, you don't necessarily need to watch every ball. You don't need to necessarily listen to every piece of commentary, but there's something going on with a vague narrative and a linear plot, and it's creating noise to make your day move forward, right? Whereas with with reality tv they seem to need to there seems to need to be like an ending for them like they do get invested enough where it's like even because the show's never end like i don't that'd be fuck that'd be something if like in every reality tv show at the end of the show like the end of the season or the series or whatever they die (laughs) 
Or look, dying is probably a bit extreme. Sorry, that kind of that kind of that kind of comes across a bit like fascist somehow. It's like now that the public has finished consuming these, they will die. Their their fifteen minutes is over. But like maybe that could be a thing. Like at the end of a reality TV show, you are forcibly removed from the public eye forever. Like that's just the end. Like the Kardashians. Like, they end keeping up with the Kardashians, and then there is a blanket ban on newspapers, TV, social media, whatever, on just reporting anything about Kim Kardashian ever again. She just goes back to having a private life. Like, would they want that? Shit, maybe I'm, maybe I'm creating, like, the best-case possible scenario for them. No, surely not. I don't think there's ever, you know... No, no Kardashians are like Meghan Markling being like, I just don't want any more publicity. I want a nice private life, which you can read about in my book. Anyway, I just, I want to admit to you that I'm easy to trick. I'm simple-minded. You can chuck that Netflix sound. You can just put it there. You can just start, ba-bow, like, oh. My dick gets a little hard and I'm like, I cannot wait to see some suffering. I cannot wait to see some stricken people, some very wealthy stricken people on the screen not achieving 100% of their dreams. 99.9% of their dreams achieved. They just need that one more. And you know what? I do have 42 minutes to wait and see. Something that I could Google in advance. (laughs) Because this took place at tournaments last year. Look, I just want to admit that to you. And I also want to apologize uh, indirectly uh, to, to, my, to my wife for making fun of her for watching reality TV shows when, you know, keeping up with the Kardashians, that's, that's just full swing for people who aren't that good at golf, but probably still pretty good at golf because I think it, at some tax bracket, you just have to pick up a club. It like somehow becomes part of your social or economic well-being. Like you got to be on the course. That's where this shit gets done. Um, so I can't wait for AFL to be back so this can stop because <laughs> I don't think I can stretch out the final two episodes till the start of the AFL season. I might have to dip back in to drive to survive to see if they've all still survived. And by survived, I mean raced faster. You know, you know, survival. Ugh. It's, it's just, it just, I don't know if this is relatable. It's just that thing where you get so disappointed at yourself for your interests. You know, like when you go to some bullshit news aggregator website like news.com.au or the Daily Mail and there's an absolutely garbage article and you're like, who the fuck would read this? How is this news while you're three paragraphs in? (laughs) I think I'm six episodes into full swing and I'm like, what? There's no drama here. There's no stakes. These are professional golfers. And the second I finish recording this podcast, I'm hitting resume and watching the last 15 minutes of episode six. Ugh, I hate myself and you should too. All right, so you liked 
joke writing with Tom Whitcomb last week, so I thought, fuck it, let's go segment number two. Let's give this thing some goddamn structure. So what I've done is a phone tap. My good friend and comedian Amos Gill has called me. I have recorded that phone call, and uh, with his permission, I'm going to play you a snippet from it. I just, I just think it creates a different type of conversation than if you're sitting in a podcast. Like, he's not trying to be on. He's not trying to entertain you. He's not trying to say something meaningful or interesting. He's just talking to me. He's just talking to his friend. And this chat is so typical of my good friend Amos because generally when comedians call you, they want to they wanna run a joke by you. They want to they wanna be like, oh, have, you, have you heard this, anyone doing this? I've got this bit about this. Do you reckon that kind of works? Uh, or some kind of you know very boring logistical question. Uh, there's so much more admin in comedy than anyone would like to admit. Uh, but Amos, I would say almost exclusively, calls me up to pitch ideas for how... <laughs> sorry. Pitch ideas for how he's going to make money doing anything but comedy. Amos is constantly tossing up other career options uh, just just with... With the speed and randomness of a teenager, like just, he just so impulsive, so impulsively thinks that he's found a way out of not doing comedy, but at the same time will obviously continue doing comedy. And I just really want to emphasize, he's doing very well. He doesn't need to get out of comedy. He's great. Uh, so please enjoy this. He was at the Perth Fringe World Festival he got into a conversation with some people about mining equipment <laughs> and the international sale of mining equipment and momentarily thought, hey, why not, why not be a salesman? Why not be a mining salesman? And, you know, here's the chat. And to get us there, I made a little jingle for this segment, just in case you like it. Uh, I was like, fuck it. Let, let's let them know what's about to happen. So... My first phone tap with my very good friend, Amos Gill. This phone call may be recorded for mocking purposes. What if this comes my new life and stand-up is a pure love project? But, like, there's, there's no way you would continue to do stand-up if you were making actual money as a middleman. Which, I mean, yeah. is, is anybody a greater huckster than Amos Gill? It's just finally you're selling something of value. It's not your opinions. It's steel, hard steel. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, it's quite funny because you've, you know, it's it's better than when you watched Homeland and wanted to work for ASIO. I think that this is a this is an improvement. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, I'm just I just find it remarkable. I'm just like, you don't even have to make anything. Your whole job is to just sort of like be liked. Or not even like, yeah, had people be like, yeah, 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 he's a funny chap. He's all right. This bloke's all right. Yeah, I mean, just believable, uh, like just, you know, likable, and they don't think you're going to steal from them. Like, that, yeah, is yeah. that it? I don't know. I've never really understood sales. I guess, like, I'm, I kind of was in it with trivia when I was, like, kind of running trivia. That involves yeah. selling things to pubs. But, like, in that but sense, dude, like, I was just like, it's fucking trivia, dude. Like, what do you want? This is a low-stakes deal for all involved. Correct. <laughs> but, like, for me, what I'm thinking of, when I was like, that might be 100 grand, right? Yeah. And it's like, for me, it's like, that's more than I make in stand-up in a year. 
Yes. Okay? And it's like, and it's literally the, mate, you need a machine. I know the guy that sells machines and I'll do you a good deal and I'll get the commission. Um, it's that, right? Mm. And I'm kind of going like, this is fucked up. This must be legal or something. And it's like, no, that's just like what the corporate world is. And we've existed in this childish fucking stand-up game for so long where I am the product. I'm not selling the product. Do you know what I'm saying? And so, uh, you know, you, you perfect your product, um, but it's you. And so you're so wrapped up in it. Because when it's not you and you're selling something that you don't give a fuck about, it's so easy to be like, well, this is clearly what, how it has to be done. And I don't <laughs> care. <laughs> That's so funny that you're saying that to me, given I think I've alienated a second editor about this special. You know, just like by pointing out yeah. mistakes. They're just like, dude, we don't, it doesn't matter. Just fuck it. it just put it, no one's going to notice any of these things. Like you're yeah, yeah. only noticing them on like the 40th watch. Like, yeah. and yet I'm there being like, don't ruin my reputation out of laziness. Yeah. I know. It, it feels like but you man, with the fucking radio. Are you here to make a show? Is it a shift or a show? <laughs> but if, what do you what do you do with the um like if, if that's the thing is like if I got the hundred grand I'd just be like well you know I'll fucking then he starts to go I got to pay my tax and you go, ugh I'll be worth it <laughs> <laughs> you've found a way to talk yourself out of earning a hundred grand like, um, oh god like, no because all I can think of is I get the hundred grand and then I roll it into a into a stock or into a business that's why I was already like okay what can I get my friend from Dioli if we start it like a cleaning company together and then we get the contract at Northern Spa. And you go like, fuck me. I, uh, see, because I'm like, a hundred grand nothing. I'm like, I need, mil- I want to get millions of dollars oh. so I can do stand-up comedy. You're like, so dude, stupid. It's crazy. Why? Because you're like, a hundred grand. Like, just with that money, Amos Gill, you could just pay someone to edit and put out your videos. You would never have to engage with it for 10 years, pretty much. Like, that would just uh-huh. get you an online presence. That would get you an edited podcast. That would get you a stand-up special and the face liposuction you require to shoot a stand-up special. And you're like, yeah. what if I put it all on black? <laughs> <laughs> What's a hundred when you can have two hundred? Then two. It's genuinely <laughs> the most American sentiment I've ever heard you express. Which is one. <laughs> money is nothing unless it's fuck you money. It's true though. It's not so burdensome. Otherwise, it's just like <laughs> burdensome. Yeah, because all it does is make you comfortable enough to realize that you need more, as opposed to right now where like. I need that amount of money, so I'm actually fine. I'm not thinking about getting yacht money. I'm thinking about get, getting my head above water, mm. which is actually quite a happy place to be because you're like, fuck, I've done it again. Mortgage is covered another month. Whereas if you get that 100, I go, ah. no immediate stress, but also lifestyle's not better, just less stress. Damn it. What do you, less stress is a better lifestyle. <laughs> That's just I don't know. That's true. <laughs> I don't have that. true. I like the stress. If you're listening to this podcast, I'll, I'll assume, perhaps uh, falsely, that you also follow me on social media. And this is a roundabout way to introduce the fact that 
I, I tweeted something. Now, as as far as social media is concerned, Twitter is the one that both scares me the most and that I have uh, the the worst track record with. Uh, very rarely uh, does anything I tweet do well. Uh, I assume uh, because my my takes are either. Too pithy or not pithy enough. I don't know if you've seen Twitter, but that seems to be uh, the currency with which they operate. Um, So, the reason I bring this up, again, fucking roundabout intro. Like, maybe maybe I'm incorrect. Maybe this is a podcast as opposed to stand-up so I can really fucking meander my way into the points I'm about to make, but... If you're, if you're looking for a bit of zip, bit of zap, I apologize because fuck me, we could have got there quicker. And here we are. Uh, I tweeted something about the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Good news uh, for your UK listeners. In addition to the tour, I will be back at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival uh, in August with a brand new show. So fucking get excited. I'd say to buy a ticket, but I do free fringe and you can't. So just wait and I'll see you there. Now, into the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. For anyone who doesn't know, <coughs> Americans, the Edinburgh Fringe Festival is the biggest arts festival in the world. Uh, it has so many shows. It's been running for a very long time. Uh, stand-up comedy is a, is a very huge part of it. There's also circus. There's also theater. There's also magic. Ugh. There's also hypnotist. Oh, dear God. There's also magic. again. There's a lot of magic, and it makes me sad. But I've done the Edinburgh Fringe a bunch of times. Uh, I, I really, look, I hate it. <laughs> i got to make that very clear right off the bat. I absolutely hate the Edinburgh Fringe. It drives me fucking insane mentally around the twist every single year because it is 25 days? No, 27 days of shows, I believe. Oh, is it 20... Look, it's somewhere between 24 and 27 shows, days. Well, there's no days off, so it's shows and days. 24 to 27. Like, I don't know the exact figure. I just know it's too old for Leonardo DiCaprio. Let's keep hitting that one out of the park. i got to remember to put some applause in there. Otherwise, it's just a bit sad. All right. Um, I've done it, I think, five times, maybe six times. Uh it's a huge festival. I feel like you get a lot out of it. I feel like some of you probably found me there. Um, and it's a weird festival because you can do the paid fringe uh, where people buy tickets in advance to your show. You're at a big venue. There's a tech. It's a whole thing. And if you do the paid fringe, you make zero dollars um, unless you do incredibly well in which you ca- in which you make all the dollars. Or you can do what I do, which is the free fringe, uh, where it is free entry to your show. People put money in a bucket on the way out. It's kind of like a street performer without the indignity of the street. So that's how that works. And if you do the free fringe, you tend to make money. So as always, I'm an independent person. I don't like any of the goddamn bells and whistles. I don't like, you know, any kind of pretension. I don't like any kind of that, you know, sceney, clicky energy. So of course, I do the free fringe and make some fucking cash. Now, what has been increasingly an issue is accommodation 
around Edinburgh. And that's what I'm getting to here. My tweet was a screenshot of a holiday apartment in Edinburgh that is two bedrooms, uh, one bathroom, and the price for 27 nights of accommodation is £135,000, £635,697. £135,697. Sorry, I needed to repeat that a few times because I'm not used to saying prices out loud in pounds anymore. (laughs) It took me a second to figure out where the pounds should go uh, in the sentence because dollars, it's easier. But then with euros, you kind of put, you know, 135,000 euro. It's it's in the middle as opposed to in the back. Uh, Anyway, we're we're losing track. Basically, that is an absurd amount of money. Uh, That's something I saw on an internet website. I assume there's a nightly fee. They just calculated for 27 nights and the nightly fee is absurdly high. Um, Things to note about that. It got a lot of attention on the old Twitter. Now that Twitter tells you how many views, almost 200,000 views on that tweet. A lot of retweets, a lot of quotes, generally from comedians who understood what was going on. I tagged the festival in the tweet because I'm a piece of shit like that. Uh, And if you look at it, 135,000 pounds. Um, now maybe, you know, you're like, uh, from Sydney or you're from the States where you're like, that is a, a, a lot of money. Uh, that is basically someone's wage. Like if you're looking at that kind of number, um, but what's important to remember is in Edinburgh, you can buy a flat for about 130,000 pounds. You can just own one forever. Like this is a very significant amount of money in the United Kingdom, specifically Edinburgh, uh, like, I don't know what, I, I was curious to just kind of try and book it because I was, are they, what happened, do I have to go get a mortgage? Like, do they expect someone to have that kind of liquidity uh, and also nowhere to live in Edinburgh for 27 nights? Like, if you've got 135,000 pounds cash just laying around, I think you've probably got a mate with a couch. Uh, <laughs> anyway. I, I, it's, not the, it's not the first time I've seen an absurd figure like this. During the Melbourne International Comedy Festival last year, um, I, I needed accommodation for four nights in between uh, cat-sitting for my friend, which is an embarrassing sentence at the best of times, and moving into the accommodation I had booked. I was supposed to be with my mate the whole time. His wife might have had COVID. I had a festival to do. I got out of the house immediately. Blah, 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 blah. I needed last-minute accommodation. It was the Grand Prix weekend uh, during the festival. So naturally, uh, everything was fucking expensive because as Netflix documentaries would suggest, Formula One fans are rich cunts. So I was looking for accommodation last minute and I found a place. It was the Ibis Budget Hotel. I don't know if you're aware of the Ibis. It is known as the Bin Chicken in Australia, and I would argue that the hotel chain is definitely the bin chicken of hotel chains. You don't want to stay there if you've got anywhere else to stay. It is not a sought-after residence. I saw for four nights, and I really need to emphasize this, four nights in the Ibis budget, the Bouget, the, the cheap version of the bin chicken hotel, the price for that was... One, I think it was $1.1 million. I never screenshotted this 
and I kick myself to this day and I can only apologize. Uh, 1.1, like mortgage, again, mortgage level cost, like the kind of cost that you cannot pay without the bank lending you money on an asset that they think you're going to retain. But this isn't an asset you're going to retain. This is four nights accommodation in a budget version of a budget hotel chain. What the fuck? Now, obviously, there are some issues with just, you know, website calculators. This was through like a hotels app. Um, So these things can happen. But the reality uh, is still an issue. Um, And the reality is these festivals exist. These comedy festivals, these fringe festivals, artists, performers... And most importantly, comedy fans, uh, sorry, I shouldn't say comedy fans, fans of the arts. Let's, let's, just, let's just assume that there are actually some people willing to travel and pay for accommodation to see a fucking hypnotist. They need to get to these festivals. They need to go to these towns. Melbourne is a huge town. It's a city. It's got 5 million people. It's got shitloads of accommodation even during the Grand Prix weekend where everything is just jacked the fuck up in terms of price, there are places to stay. Edinburgh is a very specific problem because it is an ancient, well, ancient's probably too much, medieval? Medieval town? Old. It's old. There's literally a place in Edinburgh called Old Town. The place next to Old Town is called New Town. And as an Australian... If you're picturing a new fucking Kellyville-style packaged house build, you're wrong. These fuckers are still standstone. By, by new, they just mean like 17th century, <laughs> as opposed to 50. You know what I mean? We're, we're talking old. It's also a town with a population of about half a million, which is small. During the fringe the population of that town swells to about 1.5 million. That's right. There is 200% of the population of the city visiting at the same time for a month. Now, it gives Edinburgh a shitload of money. A lot of the fringe venues are inside universities. They pay a huge sum to the universities. They employ the students to work as bartenders. It's, it's a very big boon for the Scottish economy, and I assume... That is why they tolerate us. And when I say tolerate us, I say that with a lot of empathy because I'm one of the people there for the festival and even I am walking around being like, these fucking cunts need to go away. (laughs) There's too many people here. There is too much street performance. There's too much drama student energy. There's too many flyers. There's too much eye contact. Oh my God, the lanyards are going to get me. Um, So I get it. I get that we're annoying and I get that they tolerate us because of the economic benefit. But the issue of accommodation in Edinburgh has been increasing. Now, I know this is a niche topic, but the post got a lot of engagement. I think a lot of people probably wondering how it all works. Basically, when you do an arts festival, you apply to the festival, you get your venue, you do all that, and then it is up to you to locate accommodation. Usually not that hard. In Melbourne, I tend to stay in a service department or like a friend's spare room, but this is the UK. There aren't really spare rooms. Like houses are just a bit smaller. They're a bit older. 
and it's it's harder to find that kind of place. So I was looking, and previously, like I think in my years at Edinburgh, I've paid between seven hundred and fifteen hundred pounds for a room for a month, generally sharing with about four people. And when I say sharing, I really mean sharing. Like we're not cohabitating. The first year in Edinburgh, I slept on two couches pushed together in the corner of a kitchen. That was my room. Uh, And these weren't three-seater couches. These were two-seater couches. I'm quite a longman. So my feet were just on a slight gradient every, just, just slightly above me every single night, blood running to my head. Brilliant stuff. I was very motivated. And that was still 700 pounds. And that's pretty common to have someone sleeping on a couch or sleeping in a kitchen uh, because the costs of going to Edinburgh are quite high and you try and keep them down as much as you can so you can actually make a profit as a comedian, which is difficult. This year, I was going to stay with two other friends. We kind of had a more generous budget in mind. And when I looked, again, the accommodation prices were just higher and higher and higher. This is, this is a famous thing that has happened maybe the last three to four years because Edinburgh has brought in, uh, they, they got rid of the 11-month lease, which was something that used to be very common because this festival has happened for like, you know, 20, 30, 40 years and there hasn't been these issues because there was the 11-month lease, which meant landlords could kick everyone out, put us in for a month, then bring them back in. Now, that sounds pretty shitty to the old residents of Edinburgh, so I get why it was gotten rid of. However, did I mention the economic benefits? We're bringing stuff in. It's good for the city to accommodate us. Now, I, I know, I'm saying now too much. I apologize. It makes, it makes it sound riveting, doesn't it? Now, more tangential points before we get to our main one. So, the fringe knows that it's a problem. But remember, uh, the fringe is an arts festival. Therefore, it is run by arts administrators. So, their solutions are bad. <laughs> I, I'm not going to say it was in response to my tweet. I assume there's been a bunch of that happening. I know certain performers this year, including Richard Herring, have actually boycotted the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, a place that he would have gone for like 30 years in a row, by the way. Um, he's boycotted it because it's so unaffordable. He thinks it's no longer an accessible festival for anything apart from the very wealthy, which is not something he wants to support. Good for you, Richard. I still need the money. So what has happened is... They've sent an email from the Fringe Society, because it's the UK, so it's not a union or an organization. It's a society. Uh, and they've explained what's happening. And they've said the thing about getting rid of the 11-month lease. They said a general crackdown on our Airbnbs in Edinburgh, because that's a huge fucking issue. Because basically during Fringe and Hogmanini, it's New Year's Eve in Scotland, which is a hog word, but the ending is fucking wild, so I never really know how to say it. Hog money. I'll just hope it goes for the best. If you do know how to say it, please do contact me and correct me. Send me a voice note. Why not? Let's get intimate. It's letting us know all the things they're trying to do to try and fix the increasingly prevalent accommodation issues. And the reason I wanted to bring it up, even in this long-winded way, is... Mainly because (laughs) 
Many people, this, this is verbatim from the email. Many have suggested an Olympic-style village could be built for the Fringe. While it seems like an ideal solution, these villages take three to five years to build and cost in excess of half a million pounds. They are typically used long-term for social housing following the events, which only take place every four years and in a different country each time. Imagine imagine thinking the people who participate in your festival are such fucking drama nerds. They don't know how the Olympics works. Ugh. A pop-up style village that is operational every single year would cost between half a million and seven hundred fifty thousand pounds to set up. The Fridge Society does not have access to the kind of funding provided to major one-off events. Now, just before we even think about the fact it's a financial issue, they can't get that going. This is an arts festival. They they struggle to assemble pop-up bars effectively. Uh, the idea that they could create fucking accommodation for half a million-ish people <laughs> performing at this festival design it, build it, and maintain it on a year-to-year basis when last year, despite having a three-year break due to COVID, they couldn't update an app they'd had to let you know when shows are on for the last 10 years. It is fucking laughable. Anyway, it's brilliant because my favorite lines from this are, many have suggested, which means that more than one person in the fringe society considers solving an accommodation issue which has only been an issue only become an issue in the last three years think they need to build more houses than anyone has ever built outside of an olympic cycle to accommodate it that's the best solution they can think of and that is cemented by the next sentence when it says while it seems like an ideal solution it's not a fucking ideal solution What an ideal solution is, is in some more flexible way, bringing back the 11-month lease where this was never a fucking problem. Most 11-month lease people were students, by the way. The people who lived in Edinburgh full-time didn't sign 11-month leases because they needed the place for the full 12 months. But you've got students occupying accommodation on a 12-year lease. They leave in August a lot of the time anyway because they're like, there's no class. Like the fringe takes over all their fucking classrooms so they can't go to class. They're just students. So they're too lazy to think about subletting their apartments to a bunch of strange performers. They just don't think about it. When if they did, if you guys worked with them, like you already work with the universities to accommodate your venues, you could give students basically free housing. Because I think I speak for most performers, we can afford 1000 to $1,500 per room for a month. Most Edinburgh flats get rented for between five and 1000 per month total. Like, you can have five bedrooms in these fuckers. You can make five months worth of rent for students if you just organized it. That's it. That's that's the segment. I know it's not as fun as the joke writing segment with Tom Whitcomb last week, but I just feel when I put this much vitriol out there against arts festival administrators, you guys need justification somehow. So what I'm saying to you 
is the Edinburgh Fringe for the last three to five years with COVID. They had the whole of COVID to try and think of a solution for this problem. In that time, they have done absolutely nothing. The situation has gotten worse every single year where people are willing to pay double what they've ever paid before and still can't find anything. And the best thing they can come up with is constructing a fringe-style village in a city that has no space to begin with. It's just embarrassing. Like, thank God there's arts festivals for them to work at. They'd never get employed anywhere else. Anyway, if you know anyone in Edinburgh with a free flat, they can make a shitload of money from me and all my friends. Do let us know. Fuck Airbnb, as always. All right, that is this week's episode of the Daniel Muggleton podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I hope you enjoyed phone taps, especially because I would like to secretly record my friends' conversations more often. Uh, So if you enjoyed it, do let me know. Um, And just quickly, uh, you should know that was recorded uh, two to three weeks ago, I'm going to say. And at no point has Amos ever mentioned anything about it ever again. (laughs) And that was a snippet of a much longer conversation. We really broke it down. Uh, what it would look like his life in the steel industry while also uh, being a comedian, like how he could balance the two, like how would it work tax-wise, what it do. You know, we really did break it down for the for just no reason whatsoever. I mean, I, I think that probably was at the end. I think that like after he hung up, maybe he would have gone like try to suit on, be like, is this is this the kind of double-breasted number a salesman might wear? Is this, is this appropriate sales attire, you know, played with the aesthetic a bit, chosen an accent for which to be the salesman, but no, still a comedian. Uh, if you need a steel hookup, Amos is not your guy, but if you want to see a great show, go check him out at the Adelaide Fringe. Uh, I've already recommended that. Good. Now, quickly, very fast. Thank you for all your support, as always. Uh, I, I appreciate the ratings. If you do enjoy the podcast, please take a second to jump on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or whatever and give it a little five-star review. Uh, treat me like an Uber. Unless I physically harm you, five stars is the correct amount of stars. Uh, outside of that, outside of that, the T-shirts are still going on the website. If you want one of my T-shirts from the White and Wrong Tour, uh, that that said that they say the year 2022 on them, but hey, who doesn't love a nice vintage tee? Uh, they're available on my website. They ship to wherever you are in the world. Jump on there. We've got sizes small through 2XL. Uh, the only people to complain about 2XL being the maximum size are American. And to them, I say sorry, but this is stock. I've already got anything that you can order properly online will be available in whatever goddamn size you want. Now, I think that's it. I'm pretty sure that's it. Oh, that was it. Last last one, last one. It's a bit it's a bit pluggy today. I apologize, I apologize for that. Uh, but my my main goal at the moment for this podcast is to is to achieve 100 downloads in a day. Generally, uh, episodes have been downloaded more than that overall, but just just in one day, I'd like on one day to achieve over 100 downloads. I think that'd be a great little incremental goal. As always, I promise this will get better. So why not? Why not share it with a mate? Why not let him in 
on the ground floor. Why not discuss with them, like Amos and I, over the phone, the merits, both morally and comedically, of secretly recording phone calls? Why not give it a go? Why not give it a bash? Why not Why not talk in depth about the Edinburgh housing crisis uh, for performers and at large? It is a problem at large. I want to make that very clear. Or just flick on Netflix, have a bash at full swing and think of me in a hotel room taking a much-deserved break from, you know, masturbating and wiping my dick on various sized towels to just enjoy a bit of the gentleman sport of golf. <laughs> easily, easily the worst outro I've ever done on this podcast. But to make up for it, as always, tune in next week. Tell your mates, it'll get better. This is Vertical. <laughs>